You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. I don't know. I, you know, with this, it's November 1st now, and uh, I've now hunted more this week than I have all year for like, good reason. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, tying into podcasts in the last couple of weeks, uh, we finally had that daylight walker. The, and the nine-pointer finally yep. was in daylight. And it was like, okay, he's moving day- during daylight. And what do you know? We go out and we see him. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get it done, but we still saw him, and he didn't spook. It was just kind of one of those, like, ah, we were just – he just did something a little weird today. and slightly slightly different from what trail cameras normally say, but, yeah. like, that uh, reminds me of uh, – as we kind of are working on our notes but getting ready to jump in, um, it was a, it was a kind of a, a thing that I talked about with Chad in the tree stand uh, about trail cameras that we'll mention later on. Um well, so, I've got, I've got a anyway, couple of those ones too. As we jump in, you know, before we jump into this podcast, it's now uh, early November. My goodness, I don't know why you're even listening to this. We all should be hunting. <laughs> Hopefully, you're on the way to go hunting and you're listening to this. Do, do I do I dare? What what is? Okay, so this is going to release November election. the third. Election, election day. day. So go yeah. vote, guys. Go, are you yeah. guys sick of it? As, as <laughs> sick of it as we are of hearing. Every every media above. platform you hear about uh, just election this, election that, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't handle any more talk of the election. I hate because we avoid politics like crazy, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know some of these are so like I hate the bias side of things, but. Um, some of them are like trying to tell you just to vote, but they have a little sliver in there. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm just oh, yeah. like, I'll go it, vote, it, but I'll promise you, I'm, I'm probably not voting for the one you want me to vote yeah. for. <laughs> it's like it's like the slight, like little tiny, like jab at the end, like the passive aggressive comments you hear. Yeah. But it's like the passive aggressive, go vote, but do it for him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like I heard yeah. that. Yeah, what there was not, one I heard the other day me. said uh, it was like. Are you tired of being in lockdown? Are you tired of being in quarantine? Is your business failing? Um, go out, get out and vote. And I was just like, <laughs> what? How does that have to do? What is that? <laughs> so anyway, guys, happy election day. Here if we there are. is such a thing. <laughs> now, there will are. be a happy, it will be happy for some people. It won't be so happy for others. Um, but man, get outside like and Super just, Bowl. guess what? Deer still chasing. Yeah. Uh, Lord the willing, the sun, the sun's still going to rise. Yep, yep. And uh, it's still going to set. Deer's still going to chase. And even if Jesus comes back, that's still a good thing, too. That's right. It's a great thing. Some days I'm just like, let's just get it over with. <laughs> is yeah. that trumpets? I swear I hear trumpets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, the the sun is really bright. <laughs> Are the clouds descending? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whew. I'm just ready for this this election to be over with. But November third, what, what a powerful time of of the year oh. in, a, in an awesome time. Like every time I've been in the stand up until now, it's been like, my gosh, what a good day to be a bow hunter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like that appreciation is like because we we really have been cherry picking the best days. And it's like it's not like oh gosh this is a grind right now like we're just getting in my opinion to that point now other places might be different but it's been like man it just feels 
it feels right this morning. It feels good. And man, what a blessing it is to be sitting here in the tree. Absolutely. Now it now we're getting into a more okay, it's November third and you know, for the next two weeks it's gonna be if you don't tag out or harvest a buck, whatever, yeah, you, you know, you might feel a little bit of a grind, but that's all based on your choices, right? It but felt like a always. grind this week in the two days that I hunted back-to-back days. and The, the getting up at 4 o'clock, 4.20 <laughs> in the morning? <sighs> 4.20 went off, but going to, going to bed because of trying to, like I said on the podcast last week, cleaning toilets, doing all that stuff. I'm like trying to knock stuff day. out to where – Everything's off my wife's plate, or almost everything, to where, and it was one o'clock, and I'm like, this three three and a half hours of sleep is killing me. It feels like a grind, and I'm in day two. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks time change, because now that that 4:20 alarm is gonna be 3:20. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that sunrise 6:06, no. I think, in the morning. Ooh. Oh. But there's a lot of things to take from this last week of hunting and trail cameras. Like a that's ton, a thing too a that ton. I want you guys to understand. Like uh, that's a, that's a big part of what we bring. We have a lot of tra- we run a lot of trail cameras. Not just not just on our own places, but like we're tied in with mm-hmm. uh, a, a unit in Western Iowa on the Bur Oaks Bluff yep. property. Yep. And so when you're running as many cameras as we are, we can kind of be like. Okay, they haven't moved for the last day and a half. There's a cold front coming in. We might we might need to go. Yeah. Oh, wow. The cameras blew up last night. Last night was a really good night to be in the woods. Check the weather and say, yep, okay. The barrack pressure was this. The humidity was that. Temperature was that. Wind was that. Okay. And you can kind of see trends of, oh, yeah. of, of all that. Um, and so, you know, but we're habitat guys. That's what we focus on. And so this week's podcast, we're going to talk about habitat manipulation architecture if you will of using what we're seeing currently in the deer woods and all of you are seeing and then how to use that to our advantage for the future and man i'm just i'm a big fan of the of pre-rut hunting like late late october through early to mid-november until let's say lockdown mm -hmm. is my absolute favorite which is peak braiding yeah And, and and so i just enjoy hunting and seeing that deer behavior and i i know there's a lot of states i had a conversation with a gentleman this week and and he's from a one buck state and i was like man that'd be difficult like you know you can get on deer early and if you shoot you could be out buck hunting for the remainder of the season um in in your home state and that would be difficult for me just because i love this time of the year for a lot of different reasons but but number two or i guess the biggest reason would be just the odds and the chances but I think a lot of people struggle sometimes with hunting during the rut. And I think it's from a, a a mistake in knowing the habitat that deer frequent need and how they get from one to the other during this time of year. And once you've got that figured out, man, I really enjoy hunting this time of the year. Because Absolutely. the success is just potentially through the roof. Like Absolutely, you can see your biggest deer on the farm deer. or on their feet, most likely. Yeah, you can see a little bit better because leaves are starting to fall. Yeah, yep. um, deer are just more squirrely, and so with that, there's a chance that they're going to get bumped, moved. There's just a lot more movement. Before we jump into it, though, we just want to thank one of our partners who helped make this podcast possible. First light. It is the time of the year Ooh. where you appreciate good clothing. And I have appreciated the heck out of that solitude suit. Um, the whole suit. The whole suit. You, I wore both of it. I, really? I told okay. Chad, he asked me yesterday, he goes, you're going to wear the coat too? And I went, it's a short walk. I ain't going to risk getting cold today. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And so I just threw the coat on the backpack, walked with my bibs on, got in the tree stand, yeah. got everything situated, put the coat on, sat down, and was snug as a bug in a rug well and he looked at me and it was just like and i said you know the thing about the solitude is it's not that bulkiness where it's like okay it's going to interfere with my yeah with my drawing of the bow like i have in the past where it's like dealt that i don't really want to wear the coat because i don't want to i don't want to draw and risk being heard or seen because i look goofy trying to 
trying to yeah. draw a bow and I can't even touch my elbows together right. with this coat on. But um, I loved it. And you're probably wearing the furnace a lot. So the other morning, and I wanted to do this, and I forgot. I got honestly got too busy watching so many deer. We'll talk about that on the on the podcasts this week about just deer sightings and observations and whatnot. But I wanted to do a little Instagram story about like okay, it's this temperature, this condition, here's what I'm wearing. But the other morning, I had on um, two uh, layers yeah, and the Sawtooth Hybrid Vest. But one of them was the, um, it was like the Henley version of the uh, furnace. The furnace. Yep. And then just a base layer. Hmm. And it was 29. Now, there wasn't wind. Gotcha. But I had the bibs on too. And that bib, like even the bibs, obviously your legs are super warm, but the yeah. midsection of that bib is so good too. Yeah. I had so much freedom in the arms. I didn't get cold. Hmm. I was just totally fine. But it was just two layers on top, a vest, and that was it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm totally, I'm good. So I haven't, I wore the furnace top walking in and, and, mm-hmm. and just the furnace top. Mm-hmm. So I got the furnace top on. And I put the coat on over it. Yeah. So I have one layer on, and then I put the coat on. Um, I don't have a vest currently. I've got yeah. one. I talked to Mr. Kevin this week, and I've got one coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I could see that sawtooth coat jacket with a vest or a furnace with a vest. Like, there's so many configurations, but the solitude is bad to the bone. Yes. I hope if you're interested in First Light, check them out at firstlight.com and look for that solitude kit. All right, so, man, how are we going to kick this one off? I know we were going to talk about um, watching the patterns. And on the on the trail cameras, you said something that reminded me. We haven't even talked about this yet, but I screenshot it. You'll probably see a social media post coming soon. But have you noticed on specifically the Prairie Hollow kit cameras, have you noticed in the last four days how many pictures there are of does either mm-hmm. blurry or loaded up getting ready to take off head or you can down. see them head lowered like they're just you yeah. can just immediately when you see it, it's like there's a buck coming there's in chasing. and he's not in frame but he's right there mm-hmm. and it's like once you start seeing that more and more and more you will you will notice that not as many does are in food plots during daylight hours. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely changing. And you're going to see them go to nighttime and overall just less observations or less photos of does in food plots. Where do they go, Matt? <laughs> they go to cover. They go to cover. Yeah. And, and so that's quick. kind of the topic of this week's. We're going to talk about some of the setups that we have, some of the layouts, how we made those, and how we're utilizing what we know about white-tailed deer and the way they move about this time of the year and how we can make that better for the future or currently. Um, but overall, the purpose of this podcast is to help you guys create uh, a healthier landscape and a more productive landscape, and at the end of the day, have more successful hunts because you've done all that. Yeah, I, I think, number one, it's always fascinating this time of year to, like, even if you're if you're hunting or you are um, just watching trail cameras, but watching a specific individual buck and mapping movements. That's always cool, too. You're like, yeah. oh, or, like, you guys saw the split G2 buck the other day. Yeah. And then later that day, he was, like, kind of on the other side of the farm. He was like, whoa, that was kind of a big movement. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. He was on the same camera that the big nine that we'll also talk about yeah. was on. And it's just like, he hasn't wow. been there much. No. No. It's just like, man. Hey, the, starting to cover really, some ground. In the, uh, in the Ozarks, uh, there's not many people doing it to the degree that we're doing with trail cameras. Or Seth's doing. Yeah, or Seth's doing to where you can watch several hundred acres. We've been blessed to be able to own, have a family farm and then also lease next to it. So we've got several hundred acres there that we can track deer patterns. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that buck moved from there to there. When as a kid and you're running three trail cameras and hunting on 200 acres – you're like, oh, we got him, but we haven't had him for two weeks. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah. And you always just picture in my head, it was always like, well, he just never stepped in front of the camera. Now I'm going, he may have packed his bags and went a mile and a half that way. Right. And right, went and hung right. out there for a while. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the travel patterns are really cool to pick up. So that that's that's awesome this time of year. But number two, I think 
as we're diving into it, I think it's super important because this is all behavior based. Like first go to the animal trying to manage for, and then we're trying to manage for this time of the year. Because again, as we talked uh, at the beginning of the podcast, this is the time that one, a lot of people like to hunt. A lot of people are taking their vacations and then deer activity is at its highest during this time. Therefore, opportunities, harvest opportunities are much higher. So this is the best time to hunt, period. So to break down how to manage a farm to hunt the best periods of the year, you have to look at deer behavior. And obviously the travel corridors are super important. Um, This is not a podcast about scrapes. This is not a podcast about all the other silly little things that you can do. This is just habitat manipulation to make really, really good hunting locations. So the travel corridors, you're hunting, you're monitoring, the deer are on them. And then, as we're seeing now, as the the rate at which does are being chased, pestered, and then decreasing activity on food plots, they're therefore in dense cover. So how do you create and where do you create that dense cover? I think Absolutely. Th- there's that, that's the, the, the difference. That's our business right there. You just summed up yeah. our how our business has been successful, the fact that we give free information out every single week through videos or podcasts, which has been a very good thing for our business. But at the same time, we can give all the information in the world. But going to your farm and being on your farm, specifically looking at the habitat, the terrain, the features of that, and then going, okay, here's your access points. We need to change this, do this, do that. That's why we are consultants and get paid to go help these people. Yeah. It's because... We Not can everybody tell you, starts with the same habitat. It could be the exact same topography features, yep. but if you had different habitat, you would do, be doing completely different things. Yeah, like to to create this type of cover, and that's where people are like I don't I don't know how to create it. Well, we're gonna kind of talk today about like where to do it, but how you do it is 150 other podcasts because. Every yeah. place is if, different. If you listen to this podcast and you're like, well, I just need to, I, I just want to know what to do on my farm. Well, if you're in timber country, probably need to thin the timber, probably need to burn, burn if possible, remove invasives. If you have any openings, try to promote natives, a diverse native landscape, yeah. and try to disturb it with fire or grazing or lightly disking to where there's constant disturbance. And that's it, really. I mean, yeah. there's a, a few other tweaks, edge feather, soften the edges. That's it. You got it. That's 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 our sermon. But but then people are like, where do I start? Where <laughs> do I start? Where do I incorporate young forest yep. openings? Where do I incorporate uh, incorporate? Because because that is the other aspect of it. That that right there seemed and sounded easy. But what happens if you haven't identified the travel corridors, or you yep. don't know how deer are going to operate and work on a, a specific property with the current habitat, and you put these features. You put time, sweat, energy, effort into these features, and you put them in the wrong place. And yeah. then, and then you made the property that was huntable pretty now, dang n- tough. Now to hunt. you're bumping deer every time you go out. And that right there is why it is super important to know how and where to place these things because yeah. you can, quite frankly, you can screw yourself. Yeah. And and, and as we talk about like, you know, wind and how deer move throughout different areas with the certain winds you know if you can't access those areas sorry this time of the year would be extremely frustrating and your chances are then decreased so it it is like this you can you can simplify and boil it down into these types of practices or something if you're in a timber property you'd want to be doing but at the same time you have to be placing them in the right locations to see that return on that and ugh, I, I i get excited when i see someone email in and say hey here's an aerial here's the acreage here's the topography i've got a mixture of open i got a mixture of tillable or i've got a mixture of, uh, of timber and we see all that in the property i know it's absolutely game on from if this property is wanting to be 100 percent wildlife it's going to get good because we're going to lay this thing out to where you can get around it, you can hunt it, and during this time of the year, deer are going to be running around like crazy, 
in a predictable manner and you can access those predictable areas. That's fun. Like the other morning, I know we're talking about it in the other podcast too, but like I was not, let's say, on the X, but I observed what I needed to see and in the timber and just, you know, not an extreme, like really it's just cattle country essentially. I saw 16 different deer. That was fun. Like we don't really like. You might be in crop country, be like, oh, I see sixteen deer all the time. Well, like, not in Denver country, not in the Ozarks. Anyway. No, we we like you can see maybe a hundred yards in a couple locations, but the roll of the terrain and all these different things, like it changes it. And now, wasn't there a big? Didn't that property have a timber harvest done? Uh, it it was a timber side. harvest probably ten years ago. Okay. And, uh, okay. So there was a timber harvest ten years ago. Then there was an additional timber harvest, probably four. That's the at one like I'm the thinking. very northeast corner where yeah. there's activity that's happening, but it's not let's say the bulk of activity right now because there's a gravel road that splits it. Yeah. But you know, in anyhow, yes, it's been actively logged um, and managed from a timber. And then aspect. it had some pine plantations put on it that got burned over. Yeah, yeah. And so it's got a monstrous old field. Mm-hmm. So a yeah. little bit of quality habitat. It's 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 compared above? to what most people have Correct. have to deal Correct. with, especially if you're hunting public ground uh, that's not being actively Let's just say managed. Generally, southern Missouriish. Yeah, not not actively. So. It, it's it's superior to most properties, but it's not like I hope hardcore people intensive. caught that correlation. Not to get political again, but notice the correlation with deer activity with timber management and thinning of timber. Yeah. Like, there is... It's a struggle to promote healthy numbers of game, specifically white-tailed deer, turkeys, and quail are non-existent if we're talking closed canopy forests, but... It's tough to do that if you're Tim. If you have vast acres of closed canopy forest, very difficult. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. I, for me, if we're looking at trail cameras, and and before we really jump in, I want to talk a little bit about the because my examples for this week's podcast is on my family farm, and so the family farm, two hundred eighty-ish acres, give or take, and it's working cattle farm. And we have some really nice bucks and have had really nice bucks in the past. But if you think about um, our business uh, and the amount of times we travel and do all this stuff, we really haven't got to capitalize on the amount of work we want to do on the family farm. So, Matt, if you were to assess the family farm, my, my family farm, from a standpoint of I'm a client, you're you're a consultant for for our business, and you come to it. Mm-hmm. One of the first things you would say is, "Whoa, we got to get the cows out of the woods." Correct. And and you know, in in, in my whole life uh, or my whole childhood, there was no really correlation with cattle and deer and and the 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 need to separate the two in the wooded areas or old fields because it's just like, oh, it's a cattle farm. That's what they do. That's what everybody around here does. It's just accepted as normalcy. So that's that's like the biggest thing because there's only a few pockets on the family farm that cows don't go to at some point during the year. Ironically, now, 2020, there's a few more pockets. The cows are more on somewhat of a rotation. Now electric fence and uh, has not been installed, but actually this winter a lot of it goes in. Um, we're actually building four and a half miles of electric fence between the family farm and uh, the Prairie Hollow property. But overall, cows are at some point going through almost every acre of the family farm, which is tough, especially with the amount of timber we have. And tough on food plots. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. tough on food plots. Yeah. So observation number two <coughs> is the fact that because cows are in woodlots, you don't get the amount of early successional mm-hmm. um, native species that really create great summer forage as well as cover. And so mm-hmm. cover's been very limited. Yeah. Um, and then also just the native food standpoint. Overall, the the farm, if I'm going to be honest, guys, it, it's in – I would be very critical. as If I came as a consultant to my family farm, I would be – pretty critical of saying okay we need to change something if we want to expect different results 
Um, and we're currently doing that. You know, there's a little bit of uh, uh, with grandma and dad still being the, 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 the cattle owners, there's kind of, we're, we're and, and me not having the time to be there, there's been a little bit of a delay in having the ability to do a lot there. Well, it takes time to make wine, and, and changes are hard for, for everyone, yeah. you know, especially with the mul- multiple interests. Especially the baby butt syndrome. Yeah. Um, that's a Dave Ramsey one for you. Who was it? Was it you told me that, or somebody told me that one? I don't know. I don't think it was me. It was one of a, one of our clients. I'm trying to remember which one told me, but it's the baby butt syndrome where no. if if you've wiped somebody's butt, you, it's hard to take advice from them. Correct. Um, because you just see them as the person as you had to wipe the their butt as, as a baby. child. And so, um, you know, all, all that comes down to the standpoint of cover is very limited. Um, it has been way more limited in the past. Now we've done a bunch of timber work and stuff. I would and say the last f- three years, the property has has changed a lot. Just but, in starting, Land <laughs> yeah. Legacy has allowed a little bit more work down there, but but still <clears throat> not not a ton. No, but so there's a lot of isolated <clears throat> pockets. That's like, oh, there's a crap ton of deer. There's a lot of turkeys in here. Well, that makes a lot of sense because that's where the work's been done. Yeah. So overall, um, now the Prairie Hollow property is different. There's been a lot more stuff go on there. Um, a little bit more freedom, uh, the ability to do some more timber work versus the family farm. But so anyway, that's kind of the gist of it. It's a, it's a lot like that northern northern habitats where you go into the forest and it's like yeah it's not really i haven't found anything that i would say this is ideal cover in the timber right um now there's a few pockets on the family farm that have that and so we talked about the trail cameras and how you're starting to see those does being nudged out of food plots and you can look and see like when's the last time we had that the doe group on the little piney food plot it's been a few days when's the last time we had the big group of like six deer in uh, Amarillo food plot. It's yep. been a while. Mm-hmm. When's the last time we had an email come through with does walking during daylight? Just five minutes ago while we were recording this podcast, and they're in the burger place, yep. uh, which is right next to cover, right next to kind of an old field. Um, and then we had deer uh, around Big Piney, and it's like right next to the cover. Yep. And, and so – we're seeing the shift happen right now where deer are not as active on food plots as they were two weeks ago or even a week ago. Now they're way more active around these dense pockets of cover. Isolated, dense pockets of ideal habitat for bedding. And and at the same daggum time in many areas, that bedding is food too. So like there's so many resources that they're going to be utilizing they they don't they really don't have to leave those well, dense pockets it, because it, yeah if you look there's woody browse available but there's also there's still even though we've had several hard frosts there's still lots of um forbs Th- there's bloom, a lot of, there's still wildflowers there's a lot blooming of, of forbs and stuff that are even in the in the rosette stage too that i've seen quite a deer quite blackberry a few deer. still yeah. has still has leaves yeah. i know you observed uh and we were hunting together last year there was a buck that came down the, into a oh yeah one of Long yeah. Rose that was munching on blackberry yep. bro, uh, leaves. That was yeah that was and this it time was of year. This time of year. Yep. And so you know th- there's still food. So if a doe goes into those thick areas, she can still browse like crazy. Um, and st- so she still has food available. Now she's in dense cover, so she can hang low and hopefully not be pestered too much. Yeah. And and that's really where our deer have shifted. And so the family well, I farm. Just, I would say. Yes, from your observations, but I would say boldly still, anyone listening, your deer are shifting to that. So mm-hmm. maybe you're a farm that doesn't have cover, and you're maybe losing some activity. Well, you're probably losing it to the areas that are around you that have really good cover. Yeah. So like that is what deer are doing right now across the Whitetails range, and it's so critical. If you don't have cameras in and around those areas and you have you know, dense pockets of cover, do yourself a favor and educate yourself through trail camera observations and hunting observations, because that's where I'd be. But watch what happens during this time of the year, because it is so predictable. Again, like, you want to hunt this time of year, you have to know what deer are doing. They're going to cover. And what you said earlier is like, they go there and they hardly leave. 
Well, or yeah. if they do leave, maybe the middle of the night. It, well, that. But but if the does aren't leaving, well, where are the bucks going to be? They're going to be there. Like yep. that is the that is the constant. As as much chaos as there is, the constant in all this is the bucks follow the does. So the bucks are going to be there, and if they're not on a dense area, they're then traveling to the next one. Yeah, and that's in travel corridors. So you can hunt a corridor, or you can hunt over select ones that you know. A bunch of doe groups are bedded in or on, and you hunt the downwind side of it that specific day, and you kill deer. That's what you do. But you have to be able to identify, okay, in each area of the farm or the property, what do I have resource-wise to create that cover, or what could I make or add to create that cover, or... Where do I identify the travel corridors and place them? I, I know we've t- we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's like everyone wants to identify the pinch points, the bottlenecks, and hunt those, right? Because why? Because that's what every outdoor magazine, TV right. show says to do: hunt the bottlenecks hunt, during hunt this time. Of it concentrates deer. Absolutely, you hunt bottlenecks. But here's but what you, we're saying: it, manipulate the habitat to where the deer are sucked tighter to those bottlenecks. To so the chance of harvesting one of your target bucks in those bottlenecks is greatly improved because there's a better chance that deer are bedded closer. And so if the old farm, before you manipulated the habitat, that bottleneck had 10 deer that went through it a day, we're just throwing out numbers, hopefully with, uh, not hopefully, it's I feel very confident that it would drastically go up, but uh, I would think that, you're going to see a lot more deer. I know you'll see a lot more deer. If you create those thick pockets on both sides or close proximity to that bottleneck to where there's just more deer in the area because of that, and uh, the, because that, of that cover. Yeah, you, you create, or you find the bottleneck, right? You identify, it's like, wow, this is great. All my trail cameras are showing this is a great bottleneck. Fantastic. You make it better by putting great resources on either side of it, and they use it that much more. So, you know, creek crossings, river crossings, um, fence gaps. Um, saddles and Saddles, ridges. absolutely. Um, benches. The head, the head of draws. Yep, yep. And that's where you that's where you find the bottlenecks. And then on either side of that, if you have the option, maybe, maybe one side's food, but then the other side's just wide open timber. Well, then you go and you cut that timber or cut yeah. portions of the timber. And, and I think size really does make a difference because as big as we are about habitat and manipulating it, when we're talking about these dense pockets, you can go too big. Like, yeah. Yes. It's just like a food plot. A f- uh, you would think about a one-acre food plot being great to hunt Let's over. Let's make it 40. But if you make it eight, <laughs> you're going, well, the deer are always on that other side. It's yeah. kind of hard to bottleneck. Same thing's true. With it, now, that's definitely true if you've hunted public ground where they've done a 50-acre clear cut. You know. Them jokers don't come out. Yeah. I mean, just flat and out. You're like, like, you can hunt sucks. the edge, and you're going to see some activity, but all you hear is grunting, and you see treetops, you know, rattling, not rattling, but like getting rubbed or, you know, whatever. They're, they're swaying in the wind, and, and you're just like, well, that the action's happening in there. You can go too big, and, and I don't want to say... You're sacrificing quality habitat because, yes, young forest, we're talking 1,000 pounds of food an acre and great cover. That's that's awesome. But we, as hunters, we come in, we say, we want to do this, but we want to do it in a size that fits this area, that fits this access, that allows you to loop around. Maybe you've got, you know, you've got a, a, a bottleneck that you can access on foot, but then up higher on the ridge, you've got a road system. Well, we don't want to cut the timber from the edge of the bottleneck all the way up to the to the road because now we can't hardly get around it without potentially spooking deer. Absolutely. Size matters, but if if I was to be someone put a gun to my head and say, what's the average size that you're gonna recommend? I'm gonna say if ground works well, acre, acre and a half. Yeah. I would say half acre to two acres. Yeah. Like that's what that we're is, going for. That is extremely huntable because when they're in there you're probably going to observe them yeah because it's an acre like you you if you're up in a tree and no you don't have to be on the tree on the edge of this cut be back a, lot, a little bit because a lot of times we're not we're we're <sighs> no we're like, we're like big piney and doll yeah we're, we're right on the edge 
But in other instances, like on the Prairie Hall property, it's like they're over there on that point, and I'll never hunt on the bedding area. But yep. I'll sure, I'll, I'll sure, uh, sure, surely stand right here in this tree stand in this bottleneck, a hundred yards away, and know that when they come this way, they're coming through here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but like if if you were to be 50 yards if your stand's 50 yards off of it well then if they come just to the edge of it you can still shoot it if they come just off and they're just scent checking it well then they're they're buzzing by um and they're probably going to be within range but the other aspect uh, in a size comparison is is if a buck like if it's dense cover it takes a little while to like survey that right yeah if it's 50 acres like he's oh, yeah. going to be spending a lot of time in there and not coming out, but but the proper size is is one that he can work. Let's say the downwind edge of it and scent check it and know if there's deer in there. If he needs to go in and pursue because he smells what he's looking for, he can go in. But the other cool cool aspect of it is let's say they bump a deer, they bump a doe up. She's going to be staying right there close because everything else around her or, or, you know, potentially everything else around her is less ideal cover. So she's going to be bouncing in and out of that bedding cut or that, that cut over, whatever you want to call it, or skirting the edges or, or going in and making loops out as that buck's pursuing her. So she's going to be holding tight to that cover. So you have to have like this... I guess discussion with yourself of like, okay, do you, you don't want 50 acres. You don't want 20 acres because they're hardly ever to come out. Yep. You want that right size to where they'll bust out of it, do a little loop and come back in. And, 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 and that creates, again, harvest opportunities. Or maybe they, maybe you're set up in a bottleneck and there's a cut on one side of you and a cut on the other side. Well, as soon as she busts out and she's getting chased and pursued, she comes through the bottleneck to go to the other cover and here he comes right in tow. Like, it sounds ideal, and I want people to make sure that they know this. Like, when we're saying this, you can manipulate the habitat to make those situations that we're talking about, that sound amazing to hunt over, you can create that. You can do that. It just has to be done properly. Size is important how you manipulate it, and then how you maintain that habitat is also super important. But I've always wanted to hunt over stuff like that. I grew up in, in areas where there was a lot of timbering. Yeah, a lot of it was, hey, we're just going to go in and clear cut. And they were always fun, you know, the first three, four years to hunt because I would see activity like this. Yeah. But it's height at the right cover. I mean, at the, uh, excuse me, cover at the right height. There's a lot of food in there. You're seeing tails. You're seeing antlers. You're seeing, you're hearing grunts. It's fun, but like, golly, they never came out. And then, then the whole size thing. What's that, what's it, size matters? I mean, like it does. This is that yeah. that phrase is very applicable to this too. So, I, it's, it's just applicable fun. to other things. <laughs> so I hear, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it. You can. You're in control of the property, right? If you're a landowner and you've wished to hunt over those things and, and had these in, increased rut opportunities and, and, and or maybe you've just been frustrated by the rut, like those opportunities are obviously super, you can create them. If you're not manipulating the habitat, you're not, you're not seeing this type of intense rutting activity focused in specific areas. You're going to see deer chasing but i also hear a lot of people of like man i got i got skunked today during the rut i didn't see a deer it was like it was dead why like deer should be moving the most this time of year you shouldn't be having sits that are like dead if you're hunting over the right stuff or you're hunting over the travel corridors between these cuts i can promise you your day probably is not going to be really dead yeah, it, it shouldn't be. Now, not to say it's not going to happen, especially if you've got it's, more and more hunting, bedding right? thickets out. There may be the fact that, oh, three bucks are chasing that one receptive doe, and they're two ridges over in that bedding area. But if you've got the quality cover, you're going to see – you should see something. So I'm going to break down some of these – Real some quick, of these, uh, before you go there, if you have the balanced 
or if you have the the proper habitat in place, but a balanced herd too, and not just you know a couple bucks. Like you have even age class represented, you're gonna see the ones, the twos, the threes, the four, five. Like you will see the, all of that happening too in and around these cuts. Absolutely, and and what you probably will see based on the typical just hunt a property the way it is. But when you have the best cover in the whole neighborhood, you're Dude. probably going to see the better age structure or the higher older age, the the older age structure um, deer in those because they know where the best cover limit, is. So when the pressure hits, that's where they're going. Limited resource, absolutely. And, and like so, this time of the year, I hope everybody hears me clearly on this one. But this time of the year, I would like to have the best cover in the neighborhood more than the best food in the neighborhood without because it wouldn't matter if i had the best food plot in the in the neighborhood if my neighbor has the best cover that's most likely especially where the deer are going to be during daylight hours yeah so uh let's break down i'm going to break down one of the food plots that i've hunted a lot this year you and i've hunted uh, i say a lot (laughs) i've hunted this one more than any other one on the farm this is big piney Um, so Big Piney is at the west edge of a big draw. Um, we're looking at probably a 30 to 40 acre chunk of timber that's got a Y-shaped draw that goes up through the middle. Um, kind of headed northeast and then it splits and one in the west Y goes to kind of the north-northwest and the other one heads east-northeast. Um, and and we've got this whole western rim, if you will, that's relatively flat before mm-hmm. it drops off. Um, it's kind of mixed hardwoods. It's got some pine. Obviously, the name's Big Piney, but it's an oak hickory dominated. A lot of blackjack, a lot of post oak, some white oaks, and black oaks dotted through there. Um, we have done some cutting in the past, cutting out cedars. Um, there's been some just uh, older, old field that's grown up in more of a young forest uh, in places, very high stem count in places. Um, overall, I would rate it a five to a six on quality cover before we ran saws, just for the simple fact of the stem count that's occurred uh, on, on a couple of these places. Um, so that's what it was. Now, the access, it's it's not too far behind kind of the, the headquarters of the family farm, which is right smack dab in the middle where the old cabin sits. What is it, 100 yards maybe? Maybe to the food plot, the big yeah. piney food plot. It's it's probably 150. I can do it right now on, on, on X. Um, but as I draw a line from the farm to it's 120.5 yards from the cabin to the to the food plot. Yep. Um, and so if you look at that, you're like, okay, so this is kind of one of those backyard buck moments where, or the camp buck, where it's not too far away, um, and deer kind of hang out under your nose. Um, but this one had a food plot for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, I don't even remember the first year we planted a food plot there. But I can honestly say I don't think I've ever hunted it. Um, yeah, I've hung a stand no, 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 on we, it. I remember we hunted it one time. You and I hunted the blackjack. Nope, we hunted the big pine. Oh yeah, okay. There so I meant hunt the actual food okay. plot overlooking the food plot. We hunted the big pine once, um, or twice. I don't think we um, saw anything. And we didn't see anything. <laughs> a little bit intrusive, but we were kind of aggressive during that time of the year. Um, but anyway, so didn't see anything. But there's a lot of deer on this part of the farm. Uh, a lot of deer for, for, for this area anyway. Um, really good activity usually with scrapes and rubs. And so deer hang out there. But it's like, how do we hunt it? Well, the wind, um, the since it's on the west side, the, the, the very west edge of this timber lot is the back hay field. And so we enter through the hay field um, and hunt it on southeast to uh, s- south winds. And we, w- the way we're set up is just south of the food plot. So it's a great morning set because we can walk through the hay field, dump in, get into this little opening, um, and be just just south of a food plot but not hunting the actual food plot. So we shouldn't be blowing deer out, getting into the stand, unless they're right under the tree when we're walking in. What we did this past winter was we cut a big bedding area downwind uh, if we're hunting on southeast. So we cut in a you know, a half acre bedding area, 
um, just southeast of this little opening that we created in the woods years ago or kind of expanded. So we have this little old field that's maybe a tenth of an acre. And then just on the other side of it, on the on the east side of this little opening, we've cut in a half-acre clear cut or temporary forest opening. There's still some trees standing, but there's a lot of structure on the ground. And it's the best structure on the ground in this part of the farm. And we have a cutty link on it. And, you know, Matt, you're getting emails. It's just yep. like a lot of daylight activity. A lot. Yep. And it's but picking up more and more. Um, and one of our best bucks has been on it, the big nine-pointer. And... Kind of the, the idea is deer aren't going to cross this deep ravine in the middle. They kind of run the edges and use the path of least resistance. And so, but they don't stay, they don't go out to the hayfield though side either because they're completely exposed. So they're yeah. in the timber. And it's not a wide gap between the ridge where it drops and the hayfield. So it's, it's, it's about a hundred and, or what is it here? Not a hundred, but I'll go to the crest. So it's about 300 feet. Before yeah. it drops off. Yeah. So, so it's naturally a great kind of corridor. I shouldn't say naturally. That field was created, right? But, yeah. like, it's because of the fences and everything like that, there's a great corridor through there. But now it's been cut, too. It's been cut. So <laughs> or, not or, only did we take a pretty good travel area, but we now put in a destination bedding area to where mm-hmm. what was already good, we've tried to make great. And, and I think it's, it should should be said, like, the food plot, there's never been anything spectacular. No. And it's small. I Cows mean, what's have it, what's always it? gotten to it. Quarter acre? Yeah, something like and, that. And so it's not like this is a large destination food plot. It's drawing deer in. Like, deer are naturally traveling through here. Always have. They will always do that if nothing happened. But it's identify the corridor. Here are the resources. Let's add the cover. And and the other aspect of it is it's 120 yards. Super easy walk minimal intrusion and you're getting to the edge of a cut that is very very you know frequented with deer activity during daylight hours. so the point of that is basically what we have is a natural travel pattern running north and south during this time of the year deer are going to be using their nose a tremendous amount especially bucks trying to find receptive does to a point where if you blindfolded them, they would still probably do just fine walking around <laughs> yeah. because they would, they're they using their nose. And so how to, what's the best way? If, if you're thinking about the way a deer is using his nose, are they going to put their nose straight in the wind and walk straight? Or would they crosswind it? If you walk straight into the wind, now they don't do this like you're not going to say, okay, Religiously. The, the wind's out of the south. All the deer today are moving east to west. Correct. That's not how it's going to happen. But you can certainly plan the fact that deer are going to be using crosswinds to their advantage. And so, Uh-oh. Mr. Trace Harker, sorry, we interrupt this podcast to tell you Trace Harker just killed a good deer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, awesome. I feel a little bit like this podcast is live because, of, or live deer feed because um, there he is right there. Wow. But oh, trying yeah. to buzz in. Um, so. To tell me he double punched the <laughs> the record. <laughs> the record. <laughs> I think he killed that in the same. Is that in the same runway that he shot his bow buck? It looks it, that way. It, that's where the picture's taken. But I I know they're hunting the top, um, the top food plot and probably not the. Um, gotcha. Well, no, there he's like calling me buck. now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I text him, call him back in the view. Deer is a giant. He says. Great deer. Um. Big so, body. anyway. If if you're using this crosswind theory to your or crosswind kind of yep. idea to your advantage, think about southeast winds blowing out of that valley, coming up over the food plot, over the bedding area, to where a deer running the rim north to south can smell everything east of him. Yes, which is that's where the deer would be laying and taking refuge and bedding down. So the way this uh, big piney food plot or set up complex is set up is there's a food plot to the north of a big bedding area there's a little opening just to the west of this big bedding area or bigger bedding area this half acre bedding area to where any deer that is traveling from food plot out or to bedding area can enter this little opening where there's some scrapes and then they can smell everything that's down in that bedding area 
And oddly enough, ironically, right, Matt? Yep. The tree stand is on that little opening on the upwind side. So yep, the west side. Anything that enters the f little opening is within range, but also upwind of us. Mm -hmm. And so it works well, and <laughs> and uh, we get cameras. Uh, we're getting pictures of deer doing the same thing. There's a lot more daylight pictures happening because deer are moving. They're not far from their bed, so there's a better chance they're going to be moving during daylight. And so with all that put in place. And, and I, I want to say, too, that's one that's just a one spot where this where this specific buck that's more of a target buck um, this year he's frequenting. But like every pocket of of good cover across uh, the family farm, the Prairie Hollow property, all of them have a, a, a stand location just like this, where the access just is perfect for these specific winds. And when a buck is that uh, you know a target buck is is in there and working those areas. Hey, guess what? We're gonna go there, and it's yeah. like I feel I feel like I'm not intrusive. I feel like I'm where I need to be, and here's the cover. Just bring the deer. Yeah. You sit there three days, you're gonna be seeing. Yeah. The deer you want to see, and, and and so the difference in in why there's so many bedding cuts and food plots is because if there's a buck who's got this core area, and he's moving around this core area, it's like okay. There's a bedding area for that wind to hunting. There's a bedding area or tree stand for that wind to hunting. Yeah. To where it doesn't really matter. The wind will have something set up to where we can go get that buck in that core area. Mm -hmm. And that's why every food plot, like I've got maps, sketches of each food plot on my family farm of things to do in the future to make it even better. Through edge feathering, temporary forest openings, old field, in, uh, old field management, um, directional felling in the timber whatever it may be we're manipulating to where this food plot is maximized to where if there's a deer in this area we should be able to get him because we've got it drawn up perfectly and and a lot of this too is based on the access as well boundary roads internal roads um all those are weighed and played into you know how this all comes together because you know you can create again like we talked to the, at the very beginning of this podcast is we can create great habitat and make it look super fancy and just have all the components but at the end of the day if if you're not hunting successfully it just makes it tougher to continue to be managing um, that property at the level intensity that it needs to be if you're not reaping the rewards you've got to have some success throughout um, all of the, the, the journey of, of land ownership and habitat management, you got to find those wins. And for sure, setting up a farm it, is fun. Um, and sometimes some it, it can be overwhelming, but like this it's, is. It's kind of like man, this to I'm me is going, okay, um, if you have all the days in the world and you can hunt, if you can hunt, every, you know, four days a week, you can be a little less intense intense or manipulating the farm to that level because eh, you got all the days in the world yeah but if your days are limited you should make sure that every day is maximized where it's like okay the wind everything is good i'm going in and there's a very good chance we're going to kill this deer yep or if he doesn't show i know i'm just like my confidence doesn't really go down because it's like it's just a matter of time. For it's some reason, he wasn't there today. Like, but man, if I if I get a few more days, I think it's going to happen. We'll, we'll talk about this this next um, on the next podcast. Kind of that that theory of man, it's just a couple days I need in there because it, it's just a matter of time. That's the corridor. That's where I need to be during daylight. They will come. They will do it. So I, I man, that that's the way our minds are structured around farms habitat for specifically this time of the year obviously and we totally recognize that you can't create a farm over just the rut right it's got to be it has to have all these other components um that we weigh into habitat management manipulation um on a landscape level make sure you've got you know enough forbs you've got enough mass producing trees you got enough um cover for the summer, the spring, fawning cover, scape cover, all this stuff. 
that plays into habitat management as well, property management, I should say. But when we're talking pre-rut, this is what you have to have. Yeah. This makes hunting fun and, quite frankly, higher success than others. If you look at that, let's just let's just take this same big piney complex and say, how do we create this? How do we improve this for bedding or, or, or for September 15th, season opens up. How do we make this success? How do we make this successful? I started uh, to really slur my words there. Um, how do we make this area that sounds very productive for pre-rut, how do we make it amazing for September 15th? Well, first thing we're going to do is make this food source very attractive for September 15th. So we may make it clover, alfalfa, um, we may make it uh, just a really palatable green field that is just ideal for that September time frame. Mm-hmm. The other thing we would do is going, okay, September 15th is probably going to be warm still. Deer may have its winter coat. Very, very good chance. How do we make it more conducive for bedding during that time? We're going to try to enhance our thermal cover. And by thermal cover, I mean for cooler for cooler temperatures for a deer to thermal regulate. So we're going to try to find identify any kind of north slope or east slope in this region that's close to this food plot and make sure that it's not um, being wasted with low-quality habitat. And Correct. so we're going to try to leave a, leave a portion of that north slope into more of a closed canopy, grow some timber where a breeze can blow through, a deer can be in shade, but still be in close proximity to this food plot. That's one way. The other way is, okay, well, maybe it's not that hot. We just need high-quality cover. Well, one of those bedding thickets that we're talking about is on the east-facing slope, which is going to be more of the bedding during that time of the year because afternoon sun. And so you could pull that all in close to that food plot to where when a deer stands up, it doesn't have very far to go to get to that food plot, so you have a better chance of tagging him out or tagging in September 15th. There you go. There's a ton of ways to to manipulate for all those different times of the year, but um, man, it's just it's so fun to lay to lay this stuff out and talk about it and know that we're getting pictures um, <laughs> daily. I just had an update on Seth Sunt. He says I actually have a GoPro. Footage <laughs> is epic. <laughs> cool. I can't wait to talk to him. But we're getting we're getting pictures from clients. We're getting. Um, trail camera images from from tons of people and it's so fun to kind of map this stuff out across the country and then for for the light bulbs to go off with everyone who has done and put in work let's say during the off season um to to manipulate the habitat now at these moments this is what they're seeing this is the feedback we're getting it's 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 fuel um hopefully it's fuel for you guys so i'm sure we're going to have some of these um uh, successful land legacy stories coming on the podcast here in the next few weeks too. So, um, I, before I before I finish this up, we did a big piney. Um, we drew it all up. We had a southeast wind. Chad and I yesterday morning decide, okay, it's time to go in there. We went in there. Six fifteen, seven fifteen, seven fifteen. Chad hears something, there he is, the big nine-pointer. The only deer on the family farm that we're after shows up, and he's cruising around. Unfortunately, though, the way he came through, he went on the the tail end of the the, uh, bedding cut just across this little sway. He went the tail tail end of that and then went down, headed south. We got him on another camera 45 minutes later in another big kind of thicker part of the farm. Um, But we saw him. It's the third time we've hunted that stand, and we saw the deer 60 yards. Didn't spook him, but it's kind of like, okay, he's still in the area. He's still using that. So I'm kind of waiting on he another will, southeast wind to get in there. He will be back. <clears throat> so he will be back. Uh, definitely, this time of year, if if you're one of the fortunate guys that have have land of your own or have access to the ability to do habitat manipulation, you can really observe a lot of things right now and say okay this is a really good spot how do i make it even better mm-hmm. and uh by manipulating the habitat by what we just laid out is 
there's no better way. That, that's um, that's first steps. Yeah, that is first steps. That's what we recommend everybody kind of out of the gate. Do this so you get the fuel, so you get the passion, so you see the success, and it'll carry you through the rest of farm manipulations. Yep. So, Guys, man. I hope, hope you enjoy it. Go over and check out our other podcast uh, this week as we're talking more more hunting. And be sure to yeah follow up on social media because we are posting lots of success photos. Um and hunt updates and stuff like that. So um, appreciate all your interaction. Good luck out there. Be safe and have fun. We'll see you next week.